What's going on, everyone? That you know, I got so and so in stereo podcast is back, and as promised, Tom is back. I'm just kidding; he's not back. But we have Ed <laughs> in the building. <laughs> Player holding on, it Ed? down for my boy Tom. I don't know when we'll get him back, but I understand the struggle when you got family obligations every weekend. So we pouring a little bit out, pouring a little bit of lemonade out for my homie Tom, knowing Tom he would have something in that lemonade, but. It's the Lord's Day. I'm trying to keep it chill. Probably sugar-free lemonade. <laughs> yes, you know it. <laughs> Actually, last week Tom did go to a Keisha Cole listening party for her album. We'll talk about Keisha Cole in a bit. But apparently Tom was there for two to three hours and Keisha Cole was supposed to show up within that time range and she never did. So the DJ kept playing her single Incapable over and over, and Tom swore oh he heard it like 30 God. times. <laughs> oh, my. And see, and we'll get to Keisha in a minute, but it's like in my review, I specifically said that I am glad that she's trying to change her life and get it together, but Keisha gone Keisha from what it sounds like. Yeah, still blocked on Twitter, Ed. Still blocked on Twitter. No. <laughs> it's a shame when this guy... The dude who infuriates every artist and fan alive is not blocked by anybody but William Shatner. That's another story. I'll tell you that another time. But wow. you guys get blocked by Keisha Cole. And you've never said anything bad against her that I know of. On the side, well, anyway. That, that we can remember. Now, well, true who knows? Me? Keisha Cole might have like a hit list for anyone that's ever looked at her funny. And we might be on that list, so who knows? Yeah, Keisha seems like the type that keeps receipts on stuff like this, so it would not yeah. surprise me. All right, well, anyways, let's uh, if we're going to talk about Keisha Cole, let's talk about the album, 1111 yeah. Reset, Ed. Has she reset and is she back? She reset? I think saying that she's back is a little bit of an exaggeration. But Playa, I like this album way more than I expected. And from the response online, it sounds like I like it more than most people. It's a album that... I think that if you look at her best albums... Her best albums, to me, obviously, her debut in the sophomore albums. This is nowhere near that stratosphere. It's nowhere near as good as that. But when you look at it as just an album in itself, I think it does the job. She's kind of experimenting with her sound a little bit with decent success. A lot of the tracks, I mean, to their detriment in some places, sound like classic Keisha Cole tracks. It sounds like sometimes she might be reinventing the wheel a little bit, and that's kind of a strike against her. But it is good to hear her trying something different and kind of reaching back to her legacy a little bit and kind of giving us that stuff that we that made us fall in love with her in the first place. So as an overall package, and again... The album is very short and tight, which is always a plus to me. Unlike the album I'll be reviewing next week at 45 tracks, but I'll talk about my cousin Chris later in the podcast. So I think as an overall package, it's very, very solid. Not the best album of the year, but maybe the most surprisingly strong when you come into it, when you think about the consideration going into it and we didn't expect that much. It really kind of surprised me that it was as solid as it was. Yeah, going into this project, I didn't really expect anything, to be honest. After her last album, man, that was that was one of the hardest albums I've ever had to listen to in my life. But oh my you're right, gosh, going it wasn't that it, bad. It, 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 it was pretty bad. She was literally drunk on half the songs. 
Yes, she was. It was some yeah. of those songs were suspect. All right. Well, this album, you're right. Some of it does sound like Keisha Cole. My biggest problem with it is that it's like songs that she's made before, but she made them better 10 years ago. Agree. Definitely agree. I said that in my review, too. It's kind of like I said, it's almost like reinventing the wheel a little bit. Like, we don't want to hear... We're glad that you're kind of recognizing your legacy and throwing back to that a little bit. But we kind of play, I don't want to hear kind of... The songs that we blew that blew you up and that we fell in love with again. I don't want to hear Heaven Sent Part Two or I Remember Part Two, and we kind yeah, of got you know a little what? bit of that. As a as a Keisha Cole fan, I'm happy just to add those songs to my collection. Like Right Time, I thought that was a really good song. I agree. Although it was a little suspect when like the problem with that song is during the chorus it somehow turns into like a rock song. I'm not sure why she did that. I kind of liked it though. I liked the transition, yeah. and again, it's it sounded similar, but there were enough elements of it that made it a little bit different. I was feeling right. Yeah, I think "Best Friend" sounds like a classic Keisha Cole song as well. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah, and I think uh, "Emotional" was another classic Keisha record. Just another one of those ballads, heartfelt kind of bleeding emotion, so to speak. So again, stuff that we are used to hearing from her. And then what was kind of cool? She kind of she flipped it a little bit. She gave she paid homage to your favorite rapper of all time, Tupac Shakur. Uh, now we and I mean some fans don't know Tupac was very instrumental in her career very very early on. She was he was kind of her mentor. So I wasn't mad. From that standpoint of kind of shouting her out and that him out in that ride song, but it became one of the songs that the only reason you care about it is because of the Tupac elements. If you take that out of it, the song really has nothing to offer. So that one I wasn't feeling. My issues with Tupac aside. Yep. And then I think I mentioned to you that the the song with Young Thug, when I listened to it initially, it was sort of vibey. It sounded good, and then what the problem with that song is once Young Thug went on, the song just went left field and I can't listen to that song. It's it starts Young out good, Thug doing what Young Thug does. He just messes up every song with his weird old mumbling and weird old ad libs and fake singing. It's I know some there's a lane for that. All of my coworkers love the guy. They think he's the greatest ever. He's so funny. Ha ha ha. He is aggravating player. I'll let y'all have that thug. So I'm assuming you didn't review the future and Young Thug joint album that just came out? Player, please, let me tell you about See, now you got got me hot. See, listen, <laughs> I am sick of these artists. Do you wonder why? A lot of fans will come to me. I think it was last year this time on that DJ Khaled album, the one that had the lion on the cover. Nas had a song on that album called Nas's, Nas Album Done. And everybody was like, oh, he's got a song called Nas, Nas Album Done. That must mean we're going to get an album very soon. And it's been well over a year and we ain't heard nothing about an album. We haven't heard a Nas album since 2012. Now, player, if the legends like Nas and Jay-Z take five and six years to drop albums, why do these clowns drop an album every two weeks? Look at the quality, player. I can drop an album every other week. Why are we celebrating quantity and not quality? Again, I'll be saying all this stuff again next week when I review Chris Brown's album, but just go ahead and file that away because I'm going to be repeating all this stuff again. Chill out with a quality. Quantity. And I'm going to need you to leave the hardest work in R&B alone. 45 songs, that's 
that's that's the that's hard work in personified. Player, let me get give me a studio. I can make seventy songs in a week. Will they be any good? Holler at me when that track list is actually listenable. These players padding up track list and we giving participation trophies. You got me worked <laughs> up like Tom is on a podcast. All right, all right. So you don't like artists putting out albums every two weeks? Well, Ed, one twelve. They're almost. Their album is almost here. It's coming out next week. It's been a minute since they released an album. They just put out a single with Jagged Edge. Now, this is a collaboration for all 90s fans out there. I don't think anyone ever expected this to happen, but it's finally here. Ed? It's crazy. I never... And I'm like you. And not that I ever thought that there was... You know, there were always rumors. Oh, 112 doesn't like Jagged Edge and doesn't like Drew Hill, blah, 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 blah. And you can check out the, you know, I got sold Facebook page to weigh in on that debate because that was cool too. So, I I don't know. Call me crazy. Call me a softie. But I like this collaboration. I know a lot of people were like, eh, and didn't like it and thought it was a little too auto-tuned up or whatever. I mean, if you think about... Where they are in 2017. I thought it was a solid song. Is this the blockbuster collaboration that we would have gotten in 1997? Absolutely not. But guess what? It ain't 1997. Like, that's not going to happen. It reminds me of when Nas and Jay-Z finally did their song in 2008 or whenever it was. And people said, oh, it's okay. It's a good song. It's just not going to meet expectations because expectations are so sky high. However, judging on the merits of a song... I thought it was pretty solid. And probably the best 112 release we've heard so far of the tracks they've kind of sprinkled out. You know what, Ed? It kind of bothered me. Um, and shout outs to DJ Soulchild. We love you. But, I mean, I saw a comment by him on Facebook and he was really upset that they were auto-tuning all over the song. And understandably because we know what both groups are capable of. But realistically speaking, it's not 1997 anymore. Wear and tear does get to them and, and their voices, and maybe they need the auto-tune now. I agree. When I talk about auto-tune, a lot of people probably call me out and be like, you hate auto-tune. I don't hate auto-tune. People have been using auto-tune for generations. I hate unnecessary auto-tune, and I hate when people pretend to be singers by using auto-tune. Those are the two things I hate. To use it to accent a track, and if you do it subtly, that's okay. And to me, it wasn't overblown on this track. You can hear it, but it's not crazy. And if you use it maybe to cover up some scratchiness or maybe to accent some parts of the beat, that's okay with me. So I do agree with you, though, player. I think that it's unfair to expect artists in 2017 to sound like they sound in their prime because no matter how great you are, age is going to catch up with you. So. As long as you're out here and not out here embarrassing yourself, a little bit of auto-tune is not going to blow. Man, now, if you Megatron and all over the beat, now that's another thing. But this sounds okay to me. I feel Yeah, because I remember listening to one of those like, Patti LaBelle albums that came out recently. And boy, her, her voice is, is going. So sometimes you need a little bit of auto-tune. No, you need a little bit. My Aunt Patty, though. I wouldn't say that to her face. She'll hit you with one of her shoes. <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, that, that brought on another topic or conversation. It sparked up another conversation with Tom. And we were just talking about why we feel like some of the songs or a lot of the songs these days in R&B, technically speaking, they're 
pretty decent songs, the way they're written melodically and all of that stuff, but they're missing the feeling. And I tweeted this out. I was like, what was the last R&B song you heard that made you feel something? So, Ed, what was the last R&B song for you? Oh, my gosh. That's hard. That's really hard to say because as a, and my wife talks to me about this all the time, that it's unfair for me. I don't listen to music like a regular person. I listen to yeah. everything like a reviewer, so I'm breaking down everything. And a lot of times the emotional aspects gets pulled away. But to me, the last song that had feeling where I had to go back to King's album or Marsha Ambrosia's album, because both of those artists are very good at doing that. To yeah. Tom's point, Tom was talking about so many artists from the 90s and 80s generation have totally lost that. And a lot of the music that we're hearing today from them is really sounding technically good, but forgettable. And I think if you look back at my reviews for a lot of the stuff I've done this year, that's why you see so many threes and three and a half stars, because the albums are solid, but there's just not anything there that would make me want to revisit. Um, we have Kenny Lattimore's album just dropped last week, and... Technically, that's a very solid album. Kenny is an amazing singer, one of the most underrated vocalists, really, of all of R&B. But is there anything there without, that I want to revisit? No. Because he's singing, but he's not connecting. And that's what's missing from that generation of artists. It's sad because you would think that they would have the keys to do it. But like my girl Edison said um, not too long ago, she said R&B is starting to get boring, and she's right. Because the veterans are making music that sounds good, but there's a heart and soul that's pulled out of it. And it's really hurting the genre overall. I know we hate giving this guy props, but I would say the last R&B record that I really felt was Shame by Tyrese. He was singing on that record. Yes, player. And I think in Tom's defense, well, in the, the argument he was trying to make, Overall, that was probably the last project from an artist from that generation. By generation, I mean who debuted in the 90s that really had that overall feeling throughout. And I really can't think of any artist that beats that. I think he's right. And that's been a few yeah. years since that album dropped. Black Rose is a couple years old now. So he's yep. right. And it's a shame that, huh, see what I did there? It's a shame oh. that we won't be able to hear that from more established artists. But I think the question is, why? Why can't we hear it? Because, Ed, is it because of the auto-tune? What DJ Soulchild keeps complaining about is the auto-tune taking away the soul. I don't think that's why, but is that why? I don't think that's why. That's, not, that's why, in my opinion, that's why a lot of newer artists are losing it. Because they are relying too much on that. When... Um, Kanye dropped 808s and Heartbreaks. To me, again, the most overrated album in the history of albums. The album is horrible. I don't care what you say. It's trash. The reason why I didn't like that album is because the emotion on that album, he used auto-tune to project his emotion, and it felt fake. Like, if I want to hear emotion, I need to hear it from your real vocals. I don't need to hear it from some tinny robotic sound because it comes off not as genuine. And I think that for younger generations of artists who rely too heavily on that, that's why their stuff is not connecting with me emotionally. Now, for the veterans in the game, 
who are using auto-tune sparingly, like we talked about this 112 Jagged Edge song, I think their issue isn't that. I think their issue is, honestly, I think they're still looking to find themselves in this landscape. R&B is the wild, wild west right now, as you know. And these artists who used to be dominating 10, 15 years ago can barely get any pub at all. So I think there's a little bit of self-consciousness there. So they're just kind of like doing what they do, which is technically sound, but not making music as far as writing, as far as production, and as far as emoting in the way that needs to be done. So I think it just depends on the artist. But for our legends, I wouldn't say that auto-tune is the cause. I mean, I I don't want to call artists lazy because I don't think that's the right word, but I think they're missing the direction that they used to get from producers and music executives. I look at an example like Jagged Edge, the J.E. Heartbreak 2 album. They were in the studio with Jermaine Dupri and B. Cox, and I think on that album they were able to bring back some of that feeling that we got from the first couple of Jagged Edge albums. This new project that they did on their own, no direction. They just went into it, recorded whatever they wanted to. And, you know, there's no standard afterwards. There's no quality control. I think that's part of the issue. And if you leave it up to the artists, I'm willing to bet a lot of these artists they will do a couple of takes on a recording and just call it a day because in their mindset, it's just like they're not even making money with these albums. So you might as well just put out something half-baked. That's just how I look at it right now. No, player, and I know they're going to be all up in your mentions pissed off at you, but I'm here to defend you on this because I agree with you. I think that, again, it's like what we were saying. A lot of these artists, look, I'm not in the booth. I don't know how many takes they're doing. But I can tell from from the same artists who put out material in their prime and the way it sounded, the feeling and the emotion comes from it, and the hollowness of some of the newer stuff, I guarantee you this is a one-take trick pony or one or two takes because they're doing it and they're pushing it out there and they're getting it done and it's lacking something. And I'm not saying everybody, so don't come for me in this case. I'm saying that overall, not someone specifically, I do think that there's material that's being rushed out because you can't tell me, player, that the same team, as you detail, the same team that put out J.E. Heartbreak 2 put out that whatever piece of garbage album we got from J.E. earlier this year. That is the worst hip-hop or R&B. That is the worst album I've heard this year. It is ridiculous. Wow. And it sounded so rushed. I guarantee you they recorded that thing in two days. Just like yep. old Thugger and Future. <laughs> yep. And I mean, I don't want to jump the gun because the 112 album might actually end up being really, really good, but... I'm willing to bet if Diddy was in the studio with them and it was 1996 again, he wouldn't let half of whatever they're doing fly. He'd be like, nope, you got to redo. Well, and again, to say this, and I know they've been, a lot of fans have been hard on some of the releases from 112. I'm really, of the tracks that we've heard so far, I've heard nothing that's trash. Like everything is, nothing is to the level of their prime. Everything's been okay. So I'm still a little bit hopeful for the album. But you're right. I do think that if this was Diddy the Maniac running around like on the band, we would probably see a little bit different output. But as far as 112, I'm keeping hope alive because the stuff I've heard has been pretty okay. It's been nothing that's like, oh my God, we ain't heard no J.E. level stuff yet. Yep. 
So DJ Soulchild, if you're listening out there, auto tuning is okay. Apparently, according to Ed. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> Throwing a brother right up under the bus. Yep. <laughs> um, now I forgot to mention when we when we go back to Keisha Cole, her album sales. Are you ready, Ed? Yes, I am ready. I hope projected she's ready. To, projected to sell about six to nine k, and I say that. And also, I want to also say when I posted it on our Facebook page, I also took a screenshot of her Twitter page and how it says on Twitter that she blocked us. But six to nine k, Ed. <laughs> I like, is there any correlation between 6 to 9K and the blockness? I just love that. Anyway, I'm not surprised, Blair. When I posted my review of that album, most people, I got so many responses that were like, and I'm seeing more and more of this, and it kind of makes me sad. But when I post a review and everybody's like, she dropped another album? I haven't even heard a single. And these are from music fans. Like, that's kind of worrisome. Because... We know that the music is out there, but it's the artist pushing is what is their team doing to get the music in front of people who are fans? I know that we talk all the time about this being an era where music is more accessible than ever, but because it's so accessible, people are kind of lazy. They expect the heat to drop in their laps. And if they don't know, no one's staring at your Wikipedia page to see when you may or may not drop an album looking for a release date. I feel like we got to get better about sharing the word. I mean, some of this is on Keisha as well. A couple of reasons. Number one, she's doing love and hip hop right now. And I think that was her only form of promotion. I haven't seen any promo for her album and her single, Incapable. It just started to chart on Urban AC. Like that is her, that is her lane. And she hasn't paid much attention to it. She's just been strictly focusing on love and hip hop. And I mean, I know the demographic for that is huge, but you got to take care of your core audience. Little player, I don't, I hate that. <sighs> I know we don't have 106 in part. I know we don't have Video Soul. I know we don't have TRL. Well, I think they did bring back TRL, but ain't none of our artists on it. But the point is, I know that we have to be more strategic about how we get our music out there. And when you look at the Cardi B's and Tamar Braxton's of the world, the only reason they are where they are positioned right now is because of reality TV. So that worked for them, but that's not going to work for everybody. And I think that it's on these artists to be more creative, to get their music in front of people and not rely on sitting back and being like, well, I'm on TV. They'll run a commercial of my album dropping and expect it to get to your core audience because it won't. No, it definitely won't. And it's funny. I'm looking on my Facebook page right now, posted the picture of Keisha Cole blocking us. And everyone's just saying, hey, I got blocked as well. I'm not sure why either. <laughs> I want, Yeah, that's crazy. I'm not sure what y'all did. I, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe she just got annoyed one day and went on a blocking spree. But here's the thing. Okay, so all, all beef aside with Keisha Cole, right? Because I like Keisha Cole. If yeah. we support if we support your music and we tweet out your music and you're able to retweet us, that benefits everybody. But by Correct. blocking us, it's I don't know. Now I understand I know, I, because I understand, player, from my my part of the world being a journalist and dealing with straight up real trolls, because I got some trolls for y'all, some racist psychos. Like those, yes, you'll block. And sometimes I even hate to block it because people find it's like they won if you block. I'm like, yes, I made him block me. Ha ha. 
And you know I never want somebody to have a victory. So I understand blocking them. But why would you block your blessings? Why would you block the people who are going to help promote your stuff? If nobody else is pushing out your stuff, you know, you know, I got soul is going to do it. You know, so on stereo is going to do it. Unless you drop some garbage, then you might not want to retweet me. But in this case, yes, retweet me. So may, why would you hurt yourself by blocking the people who are going to push out your message? If anybody is going to spread a word about your album, it's going to be us. Why are you cutting off your nose to spite your face? I don't understand. Yeah, I don't know. But I'm looking on her uh, Billboard 100 uh, charting um stats and yeah her last her last single to chart on the billboard 100 was back in 2012 with the little wayne track enough of no love so like my that question song. that was a great song but my question to you ed is she done as a mainstream artist because no, i don't a, go ahead you don't think so i don't think she's done i think that's a little premature i think that I mean, she might be on a respirator, but I don't think she's done only because I think she still has enough of an audience. Because, again, when I shared that post, it wasn't like, oh, my God, why is she releasing another album? She just need to give it up. People seemed genuinely surprised and wanted to check it out. It was like, oh, I didn't know she had something else out. Let me hear it. So I think she has a little bit of a fan base. She hasn't totally burned the bridges. And I think that... You know, even though I just dis loving hip hop, I do think that that's an audience there. I think there's a little bit of gas in the tank, but it's on her to make music that's going to connect with her audience and to do some legwork and get this, you know, get the word spread. You can't just sit back. This ain't 05 and this ain't 08 where you still at the top of the food chain. You got to put in some work, sister. Yeah. Quick question, Ed. Did you like Keisha's third album, A Different Me? Um, no. That was the first album that I was like, mmm. It wasn't horrific, but it was the first one where I was like, I don't know if I'm feeling where this is going. And really, that's the album where I kind of, if you want to look and chart her descent, I think it starts at that album. Even though that album had decent hits on it, mm mm. That's when she started doing the reality show stuff, and that album was very uneven. Yeah, I think the problem with that album was she. I think she made that album on purpose because she didn't want to be boxed into that soulful ballad lane. And mm-hmm. I, I think she was effective in doing so, but I think it also changed up the landscape of her career because she had that lane. And let's face it, that second album, every song she put out was a hit. So for her to take that risk and go away from that, I think it hurt her in the long run. I agree. And again, I think... Her, all, her attention was divided because that's when the BT reality show hit. This was before we had reality shows of R&B singers all over the place. But that hit, and that was a hit. But she became, she wasn't even a star of her own show. Because her crazy mom was the one that kind of was the breakout star. So I think that that was going on. She couldn't decide what she wanted to be musically. She was having drama with her relationships. It was a mess. And it really showed in her music. I think it's about time for me to do one of my famous album rankings because I don't think I've done one for Keisha yet, and she deserves it. Yeah, I would put her, uh, not this album, but the one before that, last. <laughs> um, Yeah, that's kind of no question. And I didn't, well, I'm going to say I didn't hate that album. I didn't like that album. But that album was weird because 
I know you didn't like Rick James and many of those other singles, but it had yeah. three or four singles that I enjoyed, but just outside of those four singles, it was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> um, now on to another project. You had kind of mentioned Kenny Lattimore already. That was one of yeah. the albums that you listened to. Uh, what did you think of that album just as an album in 2017? <sighs> it's an album. I'm a big Kenny fan, as many people know. I think he's a great vocalist, absolutely underrated. And it was an album that, I don't know, it had good songs on it, but like so many albums that I heard this year, and I hate to say it because I, you know, I love the Lettuces and I love, uh, I can't even think of some other folks. Um, Vivian Green might be another one. But there are, well, no, Vivian's was a little stronger than that. But there were so many albums this year that were technically solid, but just. Lacking something that made me want to revisit it. And I think that's what she, that's what Kenny had, that's what Lettucey had, and a whole bunch of others that I've reviewed this year. Very technically sound. I think if you're a Kenny Lattimore fan, you're going to love it. You're going to say it's the best album of the year, yada, yada. But, and honestly, your boy Joe, he's another one that falls in this category all the time for most of his recent releases. Technically, it's good. It's some great songs, but it's just missing an X factor. And that's what's really taking away from these legacy artists from getting their albums to that next level in recent years. It's very solid, but unspectacular. Well, we love Kenny Lattimore on the podcast, though, so everyone go check out that album. Yes, um, do another, an, another release that came out, and we don't really need to talk too much about this one, uh, but her, she's going on tour soon, and she put out I guess it's the it was the first EP and the second EP combined together, and then she released six new songs that are B sides to to the Volume One and Volume Two. So going into it, you can't really be expecting the quality that we got from Volume One. But I think there was one song on there that was really good. Rather be that was a good one. Yeah, that's the song that I really enjoyed. And um, my issue with Volume Two. Is that volume two was a little bit too sleepy? A little. I know that she goes for the atmospheric vibe because that's all the rage today. But it just felt a little too slow and monotonous and ponderous to me. But rather be was a song that was. It had some energy to it, despite it being a little low key. So that one, I really wish that one was part of the volume two package because it probably would have helped me enjoy it a little bit better. Right. I think that song as well as. Her collaboration with Julius Daniel Caesar. Oh boy! <laughs> I think yes, those but that's two my songs, song too. Yeah, like those songs are by her, but really they're Gabby Wilson songs. It's a, no, that's a great point. Those are exactly what they are. Those are Gabby tracks. That yep. Again, so, we talked about artists kind of like stepping out of the norm and doing something different to get their music out there. I mean, Gabby like went to the extreme and created a. She turned from Mick Foley to Mankind on us, good lord. But that was still a way for her to get her music out in front of a new audience, and it worked. So I'm not mad at the hustle, especially when the talent's there. Yeah, I think now would be a good time, now that she has that fan base, because I see a lot of people tweeting about her, a lot of celebrities even, a lot of artists that post her music too, like Neil just posted a video of himself singing one of her songs. So I think now is the time for her to really switch it up and bring it back to 
just that organic R&B sound because you can only go so long with that atmospheric vibe. Exactly. It's going to... I know my man Soul Child's gonna come at me. My man Derek Dunn's gonna come come at me. The reason why I was not on the um, New Jack Swing train is because they ran that train into the ground, and I think the atmospheric vibe is getting very close to that. So I think this would be a great opportunity for her to be like, "Okay, I got your attention. I got your ears. Now let me show y'all what I really can do." And break us off with some of that because we know how talented she is. She don't have to ride yeah. the wave so bad. This is her time to really step out. Yeah, because you're right. Once you got to volume two, it was a little too sleepy time. And I think at some point, I mean, there were still some solid songs, but at some point it all started to sound the same. Exactly. It sounds like one big long lullaby player. Yep. Now, I want to give a quick shout out to my boy, Barry Bars, who... uh Helps us out on the podcast from time to time. Yes, my uh, ta- there. Apparently, his mom heard the Seven Streeter single before I do because it's been charting on Urban AC, and she liked the song so much she went out and bought the Seven Streeter album. And Ed, I'm n- I know you listen to the Seven Streeter album. Are there any songs out there like Before I Do on that album? <laughs> I am so sorry, Mrs. Bars, that you got duped because. That's uh, well, I remember when I reviewed that album, and I wish I had my notes in front of me because I always keep notes when I review albums. And I remember being like, because I think that's like halfway through the album, I had like all these check marks and stars by being like, yes, this is the song. And then the rest of the page is just like blank spaces and question marks because that song is amazing. Everything else, not so much. Right. So at least she got. <laughs> I mean, yay for seven. She got $10 out of somebody, but I hate to be like this, but this is a time where it might be better to just put down the $1.29 on iTunes and call it a day. Oh. Now, I was talking to Tom about this. It felt like Seven Streeter pulled a tweet, like Tweet did on her first album. So, it, it, it similarly, but Ed, when Tweet put out her debut album back in 2002, and remember her Two singles were both Timbaland produced records and they sounded nothing like the rest of the album. Were people pissed? No. I mean, I think people from my vantage point, and I was one of those people, we were shocked. We were like, "Um, this is not what we expected. But I don't remember anybody being pissed because what we got was not what we expected, but what we got was so freaking good. So if in the case of Seven, it's not that... We hear Before I Do, and it's a whole bunch of neo-soul songs that are very good. We hear Before I Do, which is a great song, and then a bunch of songs that just aren't good. So the quality, it's not about the style of music. In this case, it's the quality of music. So yeah, we went in that Tweet album being like, oh, we thought this was going to sound like an Aaliyah album, but it sounds like a India Irie album, sort of. And that was good because it worked and it worked for Tweet and that's the sound she's been rolling with. But Seven's case, it just isn't a strong album overall. I mean, it's fine. I think I gave it three and a half. Like, it's not ter- terrible, but it's nowhere near the quality of that song. Yeah. Can you imagine going into the album expecting Timbaland bangers and then hearing Smoking Cigarettes? Which is a good that's song. That's it. Oh, I love that <laughs> song. But that's exactly what happened. We were kind of, I think the. Was it My Place? Whatever the first song was, it was so, yep. like, 
slow. And I was like, oh, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. Where, where's Call Me? It's buried all the way like number 13 or something on this track. But shout out to Tweet. One of the best albums of that decade. Wow. you! I just realized something, Ed. You and Bryson Tiller have a lot in common because he actually sampled that My Place record on his new album. So he probably had the same reaction you did. Um, You better never, ever put my name with that guy. Ugh. Hold on. Aren't you guys, both, blow- you guys are both from Kentucky as well. I am not from Kentucky. I am from oh. Virginia. I am from the hometown of Missy Elliott. Get it right. But no, oh. I spent many a year in Louisville where he did. But thankfully, I was gone before he started mucking up the radio. Oh, boy. Um, now, before we get into the special topic for the day, and you know, as I'm thinking about it with this 7th Streeter album, Jeremiah was featured on a bunch of songs on there. And Jeremiah also had a song on the Keisha Cole album, Vault. Which was pretty good, but is it me, Ed, or is Jeremiah's voice like really, really weird? <laughs> you call it weird, I call it weak. Like when I first heard, I think it was Birthday Sex. Yeah. That's the one song of his that I kind of like. And when I first heard it, I was just so distracted by his voice. Because it sounds like somebody got one of the Chippendale Rescue Rangers and put his balls on a vice. And was like, <laughs> sing this song. But, oh. ugh. He got it right one time. I like birthday sex. Other than that, that's been a long time since that song came out. One hot song every 10 year average. Yeah, he won't be in our R&B Hall of Fame. But um, to continue with the theme of weird voices dominating urban radio, we found an article recently. I think Rolling Stones wrote it. Mm-hmm. And they talked about how the lower voices, the lower tones, such as the Tony Braxtons, they're uh, they're being eliminated from mainstream uh, for for the reason that the high tone is dominating, like the Chris Browns and the Neos. I think that was the premise of that article, right? That was the premise, but even overall, when you look deeper into the article, it becomes pretty much what we always talk about. Why is R&B, why has R&B fallen out of the mainstream light? That's kind of the, even though it's kind of tailored around voices, the overall kind of question the article presents is what the heck happened to R&B when it was so dominant like less than two decades ago, even, shoot, a decade ago. But now it's pretty much the non-existent factor on the radio. Like, what happened? It was a very, very interesting article. I listened to this. This is a couple paragraphs that stuck out, and I highlighted this. So, y'all stick with a brother as I get my read on. Programs, in addition, programs deem it too risky to play records that deviate from the dominant hip-hop sound. It's hard to play Kevin Ross, who has a soft number one urban AC hit this year, after Cardi B, who had a bone-crushing mainstream hit, Right now, Tyner says, that's why there is a separation between church and state. The energy and vibe of the music that we're playing on mainstream just does not mesh with the urban AC side. But it's not that simple. Artists on the AC side continuously fiddle with their production on their singles to make them more appealing to mainstream programmers. The stinging drums and two relatively recent urban AC number ones, Ro James Permission and Leela James Don't Want You Back, Two songs out of love, by the way, were precisely calibrated to complete to compete 
with contemporary rap hits, the instrumentals underpinning Gordon Banks's Keep You in Mind is similar to the beat of Yo Gotti's Rake It Up. Yet with rare exceptions, these attempts to fit the mainstream radio still fall flat. That's the frustrating piece for R&B singers who want to have major success, Stewart explains. They have to make decisions between what they love and where they want to be heard. They They have to make a series of compromises. And when an artist has to make those compromises, we don't like it as much. Adding to that frustration... Those compromises still don't allow these singers to compete at radio. Some emerging artists hope to duck out of this rigged system by completely disassociating themselves from R&B. Frank Ocean, FKA Twigs, they didn't want to be considered R&B, Stewart says. The stigma right now is that R&B is not hot because R&B means you're going to AC. That's like the saddest four paragraphs I have ever read. But it's true. And I'll tell it's you why. Absolutely it's true. true. Let's let's look at Tank for example. When we, that song is doing okay on Urban AC. It's top five. That no hip hop listener is listening to that song. Correct. None. And we and we talk about and we you know we beat up Tank a lot on this podcast about why does he not want to do R and B? Why is he just going and just doing this pseudo stuff that? The little kids should be doing Jeremiah and that crew. I mean, this just answered it right there. Unfortunately, it's not popping on AC. You got to go to mainstream, and mainstream does not want the urban AC sound right now. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely sad if you think about it. I, you know what though? As I'm looking at this urban AC chart right now, I was talking to Tom about this. The the chart is actually being dominated now, not by our generation of artists. The new artists are starting to take over that chart as well. Because Urban has been so hip-hop driven, Urban AC has turned into the place for people like Khalid and Childish Gambino. And I can't even pronounce this guy's name. Arlumlar? Is that his name? <laughs> oh, yeah, my guy. Frustrated. I don't know how to yeah. say his name, but I like that song. Scissors on there, Daniel Caesar. It seems like a lot of the younger kids are ending up on this chart, which does not. And it doesn't go very well for my boy Mario, who's already in no man's land. But this is not good, Ed. It's not good, and unfortunately, because it comes down to money, that what happened was, Urban AC used to be the refuge for the quote-unquote real R&B artists. But even that's not performing, and for two reasons. Number one, because the the new age hip hop sounds are starting to push out, and secondly, let's not take the artists away from this player. What did we just talk about earlier? A lot of the veterans are putting out some mediocre stuff. Like the stuff is just okay, and you know you can crap on that childish Gambino song all you want to because he can't sing and he kind of can't. But it's still a catchy song that's still very funk-driven, that it sounds different, it has roots in funk, and the song's kind of hot. Whereas someone can just sing, like, belt out one of these ballads that they can do in their sleep and expect it to blow, it ain't gonna blow because it doesn't have the emotion behind it, it doesn't have the connection behind it. So even a fan like me who listens to pretty much every R&B song that is released throughout a calendar year... I'm going to remember a song like 
the Gambino song way before some random song on Kenny Lattimore's album because it stands out and say what you want about Redbone, it makes a mark, whereas a lot of the other stuff just doesn't. Yeah, and it's definitely interesting um, as I'm reading more of this article. It's talking about just production and like I mentioned to you earlier in the week, I was listening to Allure's album. I finally got around to listening to that album. And the production on there is very hip-hop driven, at least for that time. So, Very much so. How were they able to coexist with hip-hop during that time? Is it because of the R&B samples? Because that was a different era. That era, hip-hop and R&B was, it was kind of more of a partnership, if I can put it like that. I mean, it's... It's kind of just a metaphorical partnership, not like a legit partnership. Whereas now, because R&B was still accepted, and there was always... R&B has always, for as long as I've been listening to R&B, since probably the late 80s, it has always had a little bit of a marriage between hip-hop. And that is what that was. What we have in 2017 is R&B is pushed aside, and the only way to get quote-unquote R&B recognized is to just straight-up do hip-hop. And throw a R&B tag on it. And it's not quite the same. So whereas the Allure album. Again I'm glad you listened to that. One of the most underrated albums of that era. Love me some Allure album. That was an album that could take. That Trackmaster's production. That was very hip hoppy, And put elements of R&B in it. And make it work. As opposed to now. Where they would just take a straight up, a straight up hip hop beat. And halfway sing over it. Maybe with some auto tune. If I can't sing for real. And then just say, oh, this is R&B. It's not really R&B, it's hip-hop. And I think that's where the difference lies. And I think it also uh, goes with the production itself now. I think it all really started with Cousin Chris. If you think about it, Chris Brown, Run It, I think that type of song requires a lot of energy, which is what I guess a lot of these songs today are on urban music. It's high energy, high tempo. I mean, the singing is trash and it's all auto-tuned, but... No one really has time for laid-back songs anymore. No one does. And I still think that... And the one thing the article does make a mention of near the bottom, which is why I love this article so much, is that R&B is slowly rebounding a bit. It's not all doom and gloom. They talk about Sizzle's song and how that song, The Weeknd, is more of a more... Not traditional R&B song, but an R&B song that would not be out of place on 90s radio or early 2000s radio. And some of Daniel Caesar stuff. So there is a little bit of appreciation for that sound, but it has to be something different to it. And I hate, in Scissor's case, I think the main reason it's getting attention is because of the scandalous lyrics. But I think that talent still shines. And if you put your effort into that song... Because she in that song, she does a great job of storytelling. Daniel Caesar is another that does a great job of storytelling. You can tell he's not just singing and reading sheet music. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of the stuff I reviewed this year sounds like. It's all about emotion and connecting with your audience. R&B ain't connecting, player. Not a lot of these veterans aren't. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But on a side note, it's really interesting because as I'm looking at the pop charts... Cardi B, who I know is your favorite artist of all time, her single, which is number one, Ed, it's number one on, on Billboard, but it's not doing anything on pop radio. Of course not. And I know everybody gets hyped about it, and you see all the memes, and she's the first female rapper, yada, yada, blah, blah, blah. 
whatever. I really still think that that is a flash in the pan. Like this Cardi B is going to be whoop. There it is. 2017. You heard it here first. Damn. Tom actually brought up a pretty interesting point as well about just pop radio. He's just saying like the white singers, they're able to get away with a lot more than these urban AC artists are right now. Like Sam Smith, that song on radio. I mean, it's not a bad song, but if anyone else tried to put that song out, it wouldn't go anywhere. Well, and that goes back to the whole Adele thing. A few, <laughs> oh God, I almost I was not going to bring him into this. And here's my feeling on that. I feel like a lot of times white artists get demonized for no reason. There is ingrained in this country, there is kind of an ingrained privilege that white artists and white folks just have. And when it comes to pop, and it just transfers into music. When it comes to pop, R&B, whatever, it's the same privilege. Their stuff is going to get a better look than a Tamia or a Jasmine Sullivan or a Joe or any other male artist that puts out the same thing. Why? Because the white artists are seen as pop and therefore seen as more universal and mainstream. Whereas the black artists are going to see seen as R&B simply because they're black. The only reason y'all keep saying Rihanna's an R&B artist is because she's a black woman that hangs around rappers. She's put out barely any R&B songs. And I like this article. This article actually says that Rihanna is not an R&B singer. So kudos to whoever wrote this because you're beautiful. But my point is, yeah, I wouldn't say that they're like getting over or getting a pass. But unfortunately, the way our society works... White artists are, they're just going to slide through a little bit. Justin Timberlake, too. Robin Thicke, too. Like, that's just how it works, unfortunately. So they're going to get a better look and more uh, opportunities to shine where our artists that we love are going to struggle a little bit in the graveyard of Urban AC. I kind of hate that we're kind of making Urban AC the bad guy in all this. Like, oh, you're an Urban AC. Sucks for you. Yep. <laughs> Um, I guess there is some positive to it, which is we saw Bruno Mars come in with a very solid R&B album, and I think the lane is open for that now. It's just it's going to take the right artist. I don't believe it's going to come from an urban artist. It'll probably come from a pop artist. They'll see that lane and they'll try to go for it like Bruno Mars did. I think another one is Jessie J. She's been in the studio with Camper, so I think we're going to see a lot more R&B-driven records by her. Um It'll be interesting to see what happens. It's like even um, there's that one song. What was that song um, by that Fifth Harmony chick with that with Young Thug that Havana song? Oh yes, yes. Like those are the type and of records that, like those are the type of records that urban artists should be making. Just fun records. Yes, and that's what frustrates me because, and I fuss about this a thousand times, and y'all gonna keep getting this work until you get out my mentions and hear me. Because people keep fussing at the Bruno Mars about appropriation and this and that. Well, guess what? Tank over here making rap songs. If he wanted to make that record, if he wanted to do 24 Karat Magic, he could have done it. Would he have gotten the heights that Bruno got? Of course not. Would he have gotten attention? No way. But it's not like that he couldn't. And I recognize that. However, you can't hate on somebody for doing something and it's good and it capitalizes. It's a good record. So I give props for good records and I give shade for bad records. So let that man do him. And maybe, maybe 
he will be able to open the door for more of these type of records. Because now that mainstream hears, hey, this is some heat. Maybe now we can slide some of these artists up in there so they can allow themselves to be heard too. Because they have, there's probably 10 artists out right now that could have made the exact same 24 karat Magic album and it been just as good. But this is allowing them to kick, Bruno kicked open the door so y'all can go through it. Or you can keep making fake Chris Brown songs. I'm just waiting on y'all to get straight. Is Usher Raymond one of the 10 artists that could have made that album? Yeah, but he won't. He you're acting like hard to, hard to Love? You're, you're acting like that wasn't a good album. Oh, I'm acting like it because I'm telling the truth. I'm acting like it is. If it walks like a whack duck and clacks like a whack duck, that duck is whack. Yep. <laughs> So it'll be an interesting, interesting time for R&B these next couple of years. It's, you know, I think to an extent, I believe people are starting to crave music again, such as like even the Redbone record. The singing is trash, but just that style of music, I think people are craving for that because I think the turn up is going to fade away a little bit in the coming years. I, I don't think the auto tune is going anywhere anytime soon. But it'll probably yeah. transform into something any even worse. But I mean, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I mean, AutoTune has been around for. I mean, people acting like T Pain invented AutoTune. The reason why it blew up when T Pain did it because it had kind of gone under the radar a while. It was a perfect time for a resurgence, and he was able to do something different with it. Same thing with um, Redbone. Like this, a funk record. How many funk records do you hear on radio? Probably not since. D'Angelo's voodoo stuff so it was an opportunity to do something different and to change the landscape so that is why these things are blowing up yeah the singing trash but it's still a fun record and a well crafted record and that's what we miss and it's a memorable record that's what we're really missing give me something that I can remember I listened to oh my gosh I don't know probably close to 100 albums a year and I have a pretty good memory of this stuff. But if I listen to your album and I didn't forget the whole album 20 minutes after I write the review, your album didn't stick with me, homie. And if it didn't stick with me, it's not going to stick with Joe Blow R&B listener. I got it, Ed. I figured out who's going to revive R&B. What if Destiny's Child came back out right now? Oh, my gosh. If Destiny's Child, I'm serious. If they came back out and dropped an album like Destiny Fulfilled, that would be a major shot in the arm for R&B. Y'all can whine and cry about the beehive, blah, 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 if you want. But it's the truth. Man, All we need is one big name to get on mainstream radio. And that's all it's going to take. I don't think that but artist is Usher anymore, people, though. I don't um, think no. it's, uh, it, it, it's over. It could have been, but no. It's going to take somebody else. And I honestly have no idea who it's going to be. Yeah, because I think to an extent, it's not going to, I don't think it's going to be Beyonce by herself. She's in her own lane now. I think she tried the whole R&B thing on pop radio and it flopped pretty badly with the four album by Beyonce standards, that is. So I don't think it's going to be Beyonce, but here's hoping for a Destiny's Child album. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody drag Michelle out of um, Bible study and get her on it. She ain't doing nothing. Huh, to hear Michelle Williams back on pop radio, one can only dream. Oh my gosh, I, please let me keep sleeping. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. 
Anyways, uh, is there anything else on this article that stood out to you? No, Playa, we kind of covered it all, but make sure um, you go see it and check it out. It's called R&B's Changing Voice, How Hip-Hop Edged Grittier Singers Out of the Mainstream. If you are in the Soul and Stereo Facebook group, the Soul and Stereo Cypher, it's posted there. And if you got Google, y'all Google everything else. Just Google the thing. Don't act like your, your Google fingers don't work. Nope. So... That seems to be it for this week's special topic. Now, let's get into the Hall of Fame. Of course, with Tom not being here, we can't really do much. And so let's just go with one artist and hope Tom comes back next week so we can restart this whole thing and bring it back to what it was with this Hall of Fame thing because it's getting kind of sad. But, Ed, (laughs) it is good. But let's let's go with one artist. I want to go. This week's Hall of Fame nomination, let's go with Keisha Cole. We talked about her extensively on this podcast. And she was supposed to be one of the next superstars in R&B. It looked like she was on her way. It looked like she was going to be the next Mary. And somewhere yeah. along that second and third album, it didn't pan out that way. Well, I remember when my heart broke. I remember when I was through loving you. Poor Keisha. She really was, really was supposed to be the next one up. And you can't tell me after listening the way it is, and just like you, those first two albums, that she wasn't going to be next up. But she just kind of lost her way a little bit. And I think that's what's going to hurt her legacy. Because once we got into album three and album four, even though she did have some good stuff, I liked Woman to Woman a lot. I thought Calling Our Hearts was okay. It's like she had some solid stuff. But she's just been so inconsistent and then, you know, the wilding out on Twitter and drama and blocking people for no reason. Like all that stuff. We talk about separating the legacy, the music from the artist, but it's kind of hard to do that. Especially when we have situations where this artist was just on the verge of blowing up and it just takes one or two missteps to get off track. That's kind of Keisha. And it's not like she can't right the ship. I do think that there's still enough gas in the tank that if she dropped a couple, maybe if the next two albums are blockbusters, maybe she can get back to where she was. She's still, she's not an ancient old lady. She's got a little bit of youth still in her. She's connected to that and she's still a name. So I don't think we can write off her career. But as far as right now today, no way Hall of Fame. Yeah, I'm with you. That second album, man, that was such a good album. But I, you know, earlier I thought she may have been done. But as I think about it, no one's really filled the void ever since, you know, she kind of fell off the map a little bit. Like, I think K. Michelle is probably next in line. But I don't think K. Michelle has had the impact that Keisha had. And I think because of that, Keisha still has her fan base intact. Right. I mean, I love her, but I don't think K. Michelle has ever been able to have the single success. Now, she has the social media success and the reality show success and the standing success. But when we talk about straight up, um, when I look at your charts and I look at your sales and I look at classic tracks, if someone named, if I was like, name five classic K. Michelle tracks, what are you going to say other than VSOP? Whereas yeah. if I name Keisha Cole, you can name three or four. So I think yep. that although Keisha K. Michelle had the ability to get in that lane, she didn't quite reach it. 
And I do think I'm still holding out hope for my girl. I think there is enough gas in that tank that she might be able to do it. Well, if you think about it, she was sort of a late bloomer as an artist. If you remember, her first single was the one with Kanye. It did okay on the charts, and then the yeah, second one was that. the second one was "I Just Want It to Be Over," and that was that didn't really make much of an impact. So it took her third single, "I Should Have Cheated," to really launch her career. So she might she have some gas that. left. Yeah, and then she that, had, and then love came after that, and she yep. was on her way. And I love that Kanye track. That's still one of my favorite songs by her. But you're right; it took her a while to get that gas going. But yep. she's totally capable of making hits. And as much as we criticize her, I mean, I think her last album still hit number one on R and B. So, I mean, there's still some definite interest there. So, Keisha, it's on you if you really want to do this thing. Yeah, not to mention incapable. Even though Tom's heard it like 30 times straight. That's actually a pretty good song. <laughs> <laughs> I love so. the point. It's like uh, The Simpsons when um, Homer gets get kidnapped by, I think, was it Devil Ned Flanders? And he was like, yep. the, the demons were feeding him donuts after donuts after donuts. I just picture yep. Tom just strapped to a chair, listening to Incapable for all of eternity. Yep. <laughs> um, so, doesn't look like Keisha Cole will be making our Hall of Fame. I kind of wish she was so she wouldn't block us on Twitter, but I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no, she's probably going to block me after this conversation. Uh, Keisha Cole, you need to unblock us. Quit being so petty, and maybe we can get us <laughs> we, we can get back on where we need to be on the charts. Oh, good lord. There is a little bit of uh before we roll out of here, I do want to mention that some artists were, I mean, some listeners were telling me, you know, six to nine k isn't so bad because keisha cole is an independent artist um but she's actually on epic she's a she's still on a major so i just wanted to let people know that yeah it was confusing over that and i remember when i was doing my album review i did some research because the whole her whole like reset thing was supposed to be that she was going indie but then i looked and saw she was on epic so i was like oh maybe she didn't go indie so that was weird so i understand the confusion there yeah um, I I don't know if it makes the six to nine k better or worse, but just want to get the information correct before uh, people start talking. Um, yep. So that appears to be it for this week's podcast, Ed. What's going on with SoInStereo dot com? Well, there's a lot going on. If you haven't checked the site out lately, you need to step your game out because you missed a bunch. We already talked about our review of Keisha Cole's new album, so if you want to hear more on that, go check that out. Also, we did a review of the most recent Wu-Tang Clan album. Now, that album is very interesting because the previous album, I was a fan of it. And I seem to be the only person on the planet who liked that album. This album is much more better received. And if you're a fan of the kind of classic Wu-Tang sound, I think you'll enjoy that album. So go check that out. Wu-Tang The Saga Continues. Got a good review of that. A couple weeks ago... I think a lot of people remember Eminem's kind of freestyle against Donald Trump. So I took an analysis of that. Pretty short three-point analysis of that. So if you want to know what your boy was thinking about that, go see that too. And finally, probably the biggest post of the month so far, this stemmed from a conversation on our Facebook page about who had the best TV show theme song. So I went back and I took a look at the list of the 30 best black TV show theme songs. From the Jeffersons, the Good Times, the Fresh Prince, 
All those things are ranked. So check that out. That one's been getting a lot of good response. And coming up this week, we've got new albums from 112, a new double album from Big Crit. Y'all killing me with these double albums. And of course, Cousin Chris Brown is coming out too. And I'm also thinking about doing a album rankings of both Keisha Cole and Eminem. So y'all working me to death this week. Damn, I thought you were going to do an album ranking for Cousin Chris, but I guess that's not happening. Um, that ain't happening. It's going to oh. be the first album, and then that's it. Oh. Well then. Um, for you know, I got so really not much going on. We have a couple of interviews that I think we're going to be doing soon. I think Tom is interviewing 112. I think he was supposed to do it last week, but it, I think it got pushed back, so... We'll probably get a 112 interview soon. And I forgot to mention about 112 because I was watching their interview with, I believe it was Sway. They mentioned that they will, in 2018, be going on a tour with Jagged Edge. It's not one of those like Ooh. spot dates. They're actually putting together a tour. Uh, so that's that's exciting. That's very interesting. And, uh, I, and then also, I don't, you know, as I'm thinking about it, I don't believe Kyle is part of Jagged Edge anymore. Not that he I was really gonna can... ask. Yeah, because he's. I was about to ask: Is that brother still locked up, or are they like? Is he parted ways for good? What's up with that? Yeah, I don't know. Because every time I look on their Instagram page, it's only Brandon, Brian, and Wingo. So, I don't know. He might still be doing that bid. I can't. I can't keep up with the drama jacket is. So who knows? If y'all know, somebody hit me on the mentions. Because I don't know what's up with Kyle. Yeah. Hey, I say that phrase I, a lot. I don't know what's up with Kyle. Uh, I was going to say, I will fill in for Kyle when they go on the <laughs> Oh, my God. We'll, pro- we'll both probably do as much anyway, so. <laughs> Basically. Yeah. Anyways, uh, that seems to be it for this week's podcast. We'll be back next week, and if Tom is back, everyone gets free tickets to the Janet Jackson show. But I wouldn't <laughs> hold my breath. <laughs> Please don't hold your breath. Anyways, uh, we are out of here. Until next time, peace out, guys. All right, y'all.